Hello, everyone, and welcome to King's Talk, presented by Cap City Crown. This is Tony with me, as always. We've got John. Uh, one more day. One more day until the season begins. The long wait is finally almost over. The Kings wrapped up the preseason on Thursday, going just, uh, you know, just one and four. But, hey, no no reason to worry yet, right? Uh, unless, you know, you're one of those people who worry about preseason. It's like, no, no, it's time to blow it up. But, uh, <laughs> no, that'd be hella funny if someone was just like, they took. They thought the preseason was the regular season. They're just saying that, or they're going like, "It's funny that the Warriors made a return to the Golden One Center and Draymond didn't play." Yeah, what it was? He was scared. I, people, I mean, if you if you go out there on whatever social media or wherever Kings fans converse, uh, I mean, you you definitely see overreactions out there for preseason. And and I think we're going to discuss today some stuff that are maybe overreactions or maybe stuff that it's good to keep your eye on, but. Hey, you never know when the season starts uh, what can change. So, but it is funny seeing people overreact. Say, great, we're all in three. We haven't even won a game. I was like, all right. <laughs> Who cares? Yeah. Like that was what heartbreaker with Steph Curry hitting the, hitting that, you know, game winner. Oh, my cry. God. I know. Those, those two Warriors games, the first one just never ended. Yeah, was the that second was the one you watched one, the whole. Right? Yeah, <laughs> that was the first one. It's like, oh my goodness! Like, I like, I like watching Kings preseason basketball or just Kings basketball in general. Preseason, maybe not as much. And I was like, all right, let me watch it. Like, it's just end. <laughs> like, this yeah. game has no meaning. Like, I'm ready. I'm tired. It's a Sunday. It's like I'm trying to go to bed. I feel like that second Warriors game was like. It, it, it was like, I think the duration of it was typical basketball, like two and a half hours, but it felt like it just got dragged. There was like so many timeouts and challenges well, the, and stuff. I'm the like, last 20 seconds. The last 20 seconds was ridiculous. 20 seconds turned into like 25 minutes. It was like, come yeah. on. I, come on. It was ridiculous. Yeah, that's always the worst. You know, spare our energy. Man. Yeah, We're just that's... complaining now. We're complaining about the, the privilege of watching basketball. I can't wait till these 82 games are over with. I'm just so – I can't wait till the next offseason. <laughs> when we yeah, have full time on this podcast. <laughs> I know. This season hasn't even begun. We're already complaining. <laughs> but, yeah. Tom- I mean, tomorrow. It's crazy. I can't believe it's already back. Based off against the Utah Jazz. The team we beat, uh, the only preseason game. So, I mean, maybe that's good foreshadowing for the Kings. But Until, until Taylor Horton Tucker drops 50 or something. HT, baby. Yeah. Taylor Horton and Laurie Mark, Mark. Is it Mark Cannon or is it Markinen? I've never, I've heard it I pronounced think, both I've heard ways. it both ways, but I think it's Markinen. And it's like, is it is Lowry? Lowry Markinen? La- yeah. I, yeah. I, I don't think it's Laurie. Yeah, it's just easier. It's, Mark Cannon's easier to say, too, instead of Markinen. Markinen. Mark- Markinen, 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 or Mark Mark Cannon, like a cannon, like dude, he's got a cannon for a mom. He's launching the cannon from the three point line. Yeah, it just sounds cooler. It's a cannon. It's a gun, you know, as a guy. So yeah, it's a cannon. Yeah, cannon's just a cool word. Jazz are interesting though with John Collins there. Maybe he has a resurgence. Uh, John. <laughs> yeah, I forgot John Collins went there. Yeah, maybe. Remember when he was like tied to the Kings? Yeah, it like, seemed like for like a year and a half. Yeah, forever. I'm, I'm glad we didn't get him. 
Yeah. There's a reason he was being shopped. Big time. Big mistake to give him. They gave him a pretty sizable contract. Oh, yeah. I think it was like 90 million worth or something. It was it was pretty. I mean, he was good. I, I Just one of those guys, one of those head cases, unfortunately. Just, I don't know. Just doesn't care enough or something. Because he was, I mean, he was averaging like 20 and 10 at one point in his career. Or pretty close to it. On like 38% from three. He was just lousy last season. Oh, he was terrible. And that's and that's why in McNair we trust, you know. He he went after someone in Atlanta, but you know, he grabbed someone else. And I you know, it's just a good way to to start off this conversation, this podcast. Unless you you know, we spent twenty minutes just talking about ourselves and no, nothing about the king. So Well, we and, actually had stuff to talk about with the season happening. We don't have to throw the banter out there. In fact, when I put the YouTube version out, I put a timestamp. I'm like, don't like the banter? Skip to here. <laughs> Actual King's talk. That's, yes. That's actually very smart of you. Good job. Yeah. I don't think people click more on the description, though. They don't see the links to the shop or anything like that. So check that out, you know, and hit that subscribe button because, damn it, it really boosts our morale. Yes, it really does. Anytime I see a new subscriber or a comment, I'm just like, you just get that. Let's go. That's right. Hell yeah. But back to the Kings. I was I was doing this smooth transition to Kevin Herter, and then I just ruined it. Kevin Herter, you know? The big hurt, Kayvon, Red Velvet. You know the, the names? Uh, does he have another one? Red? No. Uh, the big hurt, Red Velvet. Who, who's Roger Rabbit's wife? <laughs> Uh, Jessica Rabbit. Jessica Rabbit. That's what I'll call him. Because he's a redhead. He's a redhead. Kevin Herter. He has. He's not looked good in preseason. This is like you know, we overreacting or is it you know cause for concern? Because he ended last year very poorly, as we all know. His postseason was horrendous. I mean, you argue one of the reasons we lost that series to the Warriors was you know Kevin Herter shooting twenty percent from three. And probably not much better from the field. And he doesn't seem to really have improved. I mean, it's only preseason so far, but shooting in the 20% in three points or three point shooting this preseason, I think barely over 30% on just field goals in general. His mm-hmm. defense looks, you know, he, he did a little better against the, uh, the Warriors that one game, but man, he just, he just doesn't look good really i mean is that cause for concern how, how much how much should we be panicking right now over kevin herter and how much should he be like worried about his starting job um well i would say in terms of panicking i think the king's depth this season makes it that you don't have to panic too much because it's not like there's a hole that can't be filled it's not like a rashawn holmes situation where it's just like oh shoot well who else at this point even though you know that's not really a great comparison because Alex Lynn was there the whole time. But yeah, the Duarte acquisition and Colby Jones is surprising, if you want to call it, just comfort in the league, it seems. That makes it less of a cause for concern, I think. But I mean, fourth highest paid player on the team, the big acquisition looked like a steal from Atlanta. It doesn't really carry that same magic to it because like you said, not only is he struggling defensively, and I mean his intent is there defensively, like that Warriors game you referenced. I think that was the first Warriors game or the second one. He looked like you know off the bat he had a few moments, but then 
quickly subsided back into what he typically does. And he's not complimenting that with any offense at all. And that's kind of rough. I think, you know, Mike Brown has said, he said after Thursday's game against the Jazz that when you're bringing a different level of intensity and physicality to the defensive end and you're doing that more often, it changes your rhythm and it changes the shots that you usually make. They make it a little harder. So maybe it's an adjustment period, but I don't know. I mean, it, it hasn't looked super convincing on offense and he's played a lot less with Domas. I mean, when he came off the bench in that game where Duarte started and, you know, in this past game without Domas playing, you've seen him a lot without Domas and it's just like, he tries to get into the middle and get a little floater or a little mid range up and he's missing those. And it just doesn't seem like he has a rhythm at all right now. And I mean, He's going to have his chance to start. He's going to start, you know, the first five, ten games, I would imagine, before a decision has to get made. But, I mean, he kind of has to whip it into shape quickly because, like I said, there are guys in the wings that could easily fill in for him. I mean, I wouldn't go so far as to say that he's in danger of losing a spot in the rotation, but if there's no improvement, there are guys that play both ends of the floor better than him. And especially if he's not shooting, if he never finds that rhythm offensively, that's a huge issue. I guess, again, maybe don't panic, but I think he's definitely in danger of losing a starting spot. And I would venture so far as to say that I wouldn't be surprised if he falls out of the rotation here and there. It's going to be rough for him if he can't balance things out. Yeah, it's crazy how much difference a year makes. I mean, maybe not a year ago, maybe 11 months ago. Remember how hot he started off the season? Yeah. He was shooting like 50%, averaging... I don't know, probably like 17, 18 points a game, just absolutely on fire. And everyone's like, wow, like Atlanta messed up getting rid of this guy, this and that. And man, I mean, I know, I know Kevin has it in him to be that player again. It just, I don't know. He's going to have to turn it around quick because I mean, you can't just, I I think he'll have the, the job to start off the season for sure. But, I mean, I, there's only so much of a leash that, like, how long that leash is going to be, right? Until, you know, Duarte is performing well. And, like you said, Colby Jones has looked really good. There's a lot of people around him that can fill in. And if he can't step up, I mean, I like you said, I, th- I think I can see him losing that starting job and maybe even get out of the rotation for a minute until he can do it. I mean, I, I think Kevin Herter will end the season as the starting shooting guard. But... I don't know. I, I, I think he will lose it at some point early on. Yeah. Just because I just, that defense and the lack of offense, it's, I mean, it, it, the Kings don't have time to wait around, you know, and they have right. two guys ready to take that starting job. So, yeah, it's, it's one of those things too, where we talked about it a little bit last week where it's like, okay, well, if Herder doesn't start, things get even more troublesome for him because him coming off the bench I feel like you, you know, as opposed to Duarte coming off the bench, you, you're you weakening, you know, a defensive weapon off the bench. Because he's not super, he's never, I don't think he's ever going to be like a scary defender or really good. I mean, he can be solid. He needs to find that baseline of, of defense with it where he's not getting blown by and where he's playing physically while not sacrificing his offense. But like you put him off the bench, He's the backup three. You probably have to have him guard wings more. That doesn't make things easier. That makes that that like amplifies his issues. Uh, he's not the strongest guy, on top of not having the greatest athleticism. 
I mean, he needs to kind of, I think for him to preserve his status, he needs to preserve his starting spot because that's where he's going to be able to perform best. He's going to play with Domas more. Like we said, that's just one of those things that just opens things up for him. And I mean, but that doesn't necessarily keep him in the starting lineup because anybody can have a good two-man game with Domas, you know, Mm -hmm. especially a guy like Duarte who's had experience with him. So it's just like, like I said, 5, 10, 15 games, something like that. He's going to have to show massive strides. And I think based on Brown's comments, he knows there's going to be a bit of an adjustment that needs to take place. But like you said, you know, this season's going to be tough. The division is tougher. The conference is tougher. Teams are not going to, it's not going to, there's no way it's going to be as weird and as down of a season or an up and down season for the league. Because last season was super weird. The fact that a 48-win team finished third in the conference, it's pretty peculiar and odd. So stakes are high. And like you said, deeper roster means a shorter lease for Herter. And yeah, I don't know. I don't know how things are going to go, but I, 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 I can't help but feel a little pessimistic about it. Just because, you know, if there's an adjustment period, I think it might take longer than the leash would allow. Mm-hmm. And then from there, that just creates more issues. I don't know. I it, I don't know if he'll get traded. I mean, that that I'm thinking real far down the line now. But, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if that conversation starts coming up in late December, January, for venturing on the trade deadline. If, you know, Duarte is starting and most importantly staying healthy and if colby jones keeps playing the way he he, he's shown that he can play both in the summer league and in the preseason but kevin herter i think he's he's on the rocks you know (laughs) all of a sudden atlanta can go see we knew we knew it yeah exactly We we won the trade i mean technically speaking that that was the point that uh atlanta wanted to do by getting DeJounte murray was to improve their defense. And there's no question that Kevin Herter's defense was never going to be the biggest uh, draw to him. Of course, there is always a potential that he can kind of, again, find that baseline of defense and be kind of a low-tier two-way player, but still a two-way player nonetheless. But, I mean, I would have expected pretty palpable improvement by this point. And he's just he's just struggling. And it just seems like, like I said, he's just completely out of rhythm at this point. So he's going to need to figure that out because this is just, this team's trying to go from good to great, as they always say. And they can't sit here and wait around for any guy, regardless of how much he's being paid, how much he's a fan favorite. And he is, people love him. People wear the, the red wigs and whatnot, but this is, this is go time. This is serious you know, trying to vie for championship contention. And Herder, quite frankly, right now, doesn't look like he can help immensely or at least help as much as some of the other guys on the team. So he's got he's to figure it out pretty quickly. Yeah, you're hoping he could show it in the preseason and just only brought up more questions. So I don't know. We'll see how long Brown's leash is for him. And to be fair to him, I mean, his intent and his response to the challenge is going to be good. I don't think he's going to give up or say, screw this situation, screw this team. I, don't, I think the bond of the locker room is too strong. He was such a, an immense help for the regular season last year. Uh, so, 
I don't know. I, he's not going to roll over on this one. It'll be really interesting to see how he uh, bounces back. But I think, you know, beyond just getting challenged on this and beyond all these issues being so glaring and arguably being one of the biggest topics and takeaways from the preseason, maybe losing the starting job for a segment of the season is going to be good for him. You know, maybe that's a real, real wake up call. Maybe you don't really feel it until it's actually slapped you in the face. So we'll see. I don't, I don't anticipate it just being all downhill from here for Kevin Herter, but like I said, he's just, he's, he's got to figure something out because you know, we, we post things about, well, should Duarte start over Herter? And I feel like we get pretty good engagement on that of people just being like, no, Herter, we, Herter gets blown by too much, just echoing the things that we're all seeing. And it's just like, it's hard to deny. It's very hard to deny. Yeah. I don't know. But yeah, Kevin Herter. Did you expect to be talking about this at this point? Because I kind of didn't. Um, no, I mean, I would like Kevin Herter, like we knew his issue was conditioning. We always know his, his defense wasn't like the greatest, but I mean, I don't know if, if Herter was hitting his shots at a high clip, it would, or just like it, the clip he kind of did all year until towards the end. I don't think we'd be having this discussion. I think we'd be talking about his defense a little and how it needs to improve. But I mean, when both sides of, when he's bad on both sides of the ball, it's just, brings up like a bigger issue and it's yeah i mean i i thought he was going to take get it taken care of with the conditioning and whatnot and he knew that was going to be a big uh thing to work on during the off season so to see it not translating so far i don't know i mean the condition is kind of whatever it's still early on it doesn't really matter too much right now but i mean dang he's still not uh (laughs) he's still not Hitting shots, even with rest. So it's just kind of weird. Yeah. And it's like in terms of that whole finding a rhythm and hitting the shots that are typically easy, but they're harder because you're working more on the defensive end. I mean, that's so visible because it feels like, like I think in the, I think it was the second Warriors game, maybe he like hit the three to start the game, mm-hmm. played a little bit of defense, and then it just all kind of, washed away at that point it's like the sustainability of that play is just so far from being where it needs to be so i don't know it can go either way he can figure it out he he may not it's, it's definitely something intriguing to keep an eye on because there are other guys there as we kind of started saying and kind of going off of that another big takeaway from this preseason is the fact that Colby Jones looks like a mid to late first round pick and not an early second round pick at all. Really feels like they got him at 24 when they could have gotten him. And I mean, he's playing excellently. And as Mike Brown said about him on Thursday, he's making my job harder as a head coach, which he loves. And that's what you want to see. And I think the immediate thing about Colby Jones, you know, regardless if he's doing this or that on either end is he just does. He just seems to have a natural instinct to go through with what Mike Brown wants and play the right way and play hard on defense, try to bring ball pressure, fight through screens, make hard cuts. That's what another thing Mike Brown just loves about him is he makes hard, timely cuts and his, the way he can help the pace of the half court offense is immense. And the thing that's really crazy is he, I think out of everybody that had more than 12, three point attempts, 
in the preseason, he had the second best three point percentage behind Trey Lyles and Trey Lyles only had 12 attempts while I think Colby Jones had like 22. So he was arguably the best three point shooter on the team this preseason, which three point shooting was kind of his biggest concern coming out of college because he only had one good season at Xavier of outside shooting. And I think it was only like 37%, which is respectable and good, but it's not like great. And do I expect him to shoot 40% from three? Eh, not necessarily, but he can definitely shoot, you know, 37, 38% because a lot of the shots he's going to get are wide open. And, you know, he knows how to space things out and navigate around the perimeter and get open in the corner. And he just has like a sixth sense for NBA basketball. It's like, what we said after I think two or three preseason games, it's just, he looks like a natural NBA role player and he can totally build off of that. And he, he probably won't be in the rotation to start, you know, that eight or nine, 10 man rotation, but dang, he, he is definitely making Mike Brown's job harder. And he just has a good demeanor about him. He's not overconfident, but he's confident and poised at the same time. And it's just everything you want to see. And as we said earlier about the Kings not trading for John Collins, despite all the rumors throughout the years, in McNair, people have to trust. I mean, he's just another great draft pick, it appears. I mean, it's early. The season hasn't started technically, but man, I, there's just it's hard to come up with something about Colby Jones, especially with the way he shot the three ball this preseason. It's hard to come up with something to critique him on. He was arguably one of the most pleasing players to watch, regardless if he was playing with the third unit, you know, with a bunch of G League and you know, into the bench guys, or if he was playing with starters and getting early minutes, he looked comfortable. He looked like one of the better players on the floor. And that's maybe not crazy. I guess that was always a possibility, but I mean, to see things working out that way, that really kind of alleviates again, some of the worries for Herder's struggles and whatnot. So Colby Jones, I think is going to make a big impact this season, regardless if it's Herder kind of falling out of favor or Duarte getting hurt or something like that. Colby Jones is going to be a very viable weapon and depth piece. And he's more than a depth piece, honestly. I mean, it's going to be hard to keep him off the floor. Yeah, I mean, I think we're all pleasantly surprised with how well Colby Jones played during the preseason. I mean, as a second round pick, I am. I mean, if you listen to this podcast or me, like I'm always kind of hard on second round picks. I'm like, yeah, they'll probably never play. Just a good second round pick. And I know he probably could have gone a little higher, but never, you know, nonetheless, he was a second round pick. And so I'm like, there's like, especially on a Kings team that's trying to win, it's like, man, I didn't think he would ever have a shot of cracking the rotation. But you, I mean, I think Colby Jones is going to get way more minutes than I ever thought he would this year. I thought he was going to get like those Keon Ellis minutes last year where Keon would come in like at the end of a, a blowout and just, you know, hit a shot or two. But, yeah, or at best, like Terrence Davis. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, even if he does a Terrence Davis role, it's more than I thought, really. I mean, Terrence Davis played some meaningful minutes at points. I mean, I would be even happy if he just did the Terrence Davis role and did it well and was a better defender. I, I Yeah, I mean, good for Colby. He's, he's looked really good and <laughs> great pickup by McNair, second rounder. A guy who actually looks like he has a place in this league. Not like our other second round pick, Nemus Keda, or um, do we do we have a second rounder last year? I don't even know. Jalen Slauson this year. Jalen Slauson, yeah, I don't there know was about no him. No second round pick the year before, but technically speaking, you can maybe say because they traded for Sasha Vizenkov's draft rights Sasha by trading Vizenkov. the forty fifth pick. 
he's kind of a second round pick, maybe. If you want to That's true. Sure. Sasha. Uh, yeah. Well, we'll have to see with Sasha too. Yeah. Because uh, Mike Brown said that he, he doesn't know if he's going to crack the rotation at the beginning because of that defense. And I don't know. I, at this point, does Colby Jones have a better shot of cracking the rotation before Sasha does? Or do you think that's kind of a stretch? I think he does. I mean, I think Vizenkov maybe is in like that 10 man rotation just based on position speaking. Because that's true. You know, like, who's going to be the backup for? Or, I mean, well, no, because maybe not even the top 10 because, you know, you still have Lyles and McGee and Len. Yeah, that's I true. Know. I mean, Vizenkov, I, I really root for Vizenkov because he just seems like such a like down-to-earth guy and he seems very aware of what's going on and the challenges that are, you know, in front of him. But it's like defensively, it's just like, you know, you see a little bit of improvement, but I think even in that Jazz game, there were a few moments where he, he got stuck one-on-one against, I think he got stuck one-on-one against THT a few times. And of course it's like, well, he's not, that's not the same position. That's a bigger player on a smaller player, but it's like the mismatch was just so bad. And it's just like his feet are not quick enough to guard those guys. And there were so many moments too throughout the preseason where, you know, he'd be playing from the weak side and, you know, be squeezing up into the middle of the floor the right way. But then as soon as the ball gets swung back to the weak side to a perimeter player and he's got to close out on him, as soon as he's closing out, he's got to push it so hard to get there to con- you know contest a potential open three that, well, all of a sudden he just becomes a set of saloon doors and people can swing right <laughs> through him. You know what I mean? Yeah. And it's just like, I don't know. And I don't think he's ever going to improve his foot quickness or whatnot, but he can gain a comfort with guarding in the NBA and trying to reduce the ability for other teams to exploit that. I think the more experience he gets in the league, he's smart enough. And I think the coaching staff with Fernandez and Mike Brown, especially they can help coach him up to limit those, those weaknesses. But I mean, it is a work in progress and is it not, nothing's assured at this point for him. And he's really going to have to show that he can't be a liability and, I mean, I'm not too concerned about the fact that he shot. I think he shot under 30% from three this preseason, but I'm not too worried about the threes. I think one of the things that is interesting about him was I think in that jazz game, there were a few times where he got like dribble handoffs and he'd put the ball on the floor, basically hesitating on the shot and then, you know, dribble and pass, which Malik Monk said post game was like, we don't want him to do that. I mean, he's such a good shooter. He needs to shoot that ball. So I think the comfort with the three-point shooting will come along. I don't think there's any doubt about that. I mean, he might have the best, quickest stroke on the team, arguably. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, he, he's he's got a lot to do before he can be a rotational member. And if he is a rotational member, again, that can really open up a lot of things for the team. Lyle's playing the five, you know, getting more shooting out there with both Lyle's and Vizenkov. So it'd be really nice to see him get into that point, but... I mean, I feel like he's a few months away from that. And yeah, I mean, he, again, the shooting's going to be there. He seems to have a very good mindfulness of the little things. He's really good on the glass. He and Colby Jones and a couple other guys are always down on the glass trying to get a rebound and, and getting a body on a guy, which is what you want. But 
that doing the little things and trying to do the right thing is not always going to get you on the floor, especially with, as we've said, a very, very deep roster. So I don't know. Work in progress for Vizankov, but I don't know. I mean, I, I, I wouldn't be, I think he can figure things out and limit his weaknesses defensively again midway through the season. I, I wouldn't be surprised also if he's kind of just a periphery player his first season and not seeing the floor that much because there are other guys and, you know, they have such versatility in terms of like Murray and Barnes and they got Lyles and they have solid, two solid backup true centers that, you know, it's going to be hard as it is for Vizenkov to kind of like creep into that rotation. And with the shooting and the, the, the lore of being a EuroLeague MVP, we all want him to be that. We all want him to, you know, just from a pure basketball fan standpoint, everybody wants to see him play. You know, it's just, yeah, it's good for the game. It's, it's, it's fun to watch. He's got such a beautiful shot, but I mean, realistically speaking, he is a pretty far, he's a pretty long way off from, from doing that, I think. So, yeah. I mean, Sauce is a smart guy. I think he can figure it out, but I think he's learning that NBA is a lot different than the Greek league or Euro league. Yeah. And I think, and again, one of the things I like about him most is the fact that he seems super aware of that and he's not expecting anything and he must not be expecting anything. I would imagine all of this was talked about in his contract negotiations and yeah, I mean, he got paid a pretty good amount, but you know, he's not, not, not enough to, to say that he was assured a rotational spot. So it'll be interesting to see how he kind of progresses throughout the year. I can only imagine that things will go up, but at what rate, it remains to be seen. So, mm-hmm. something to keep your eye on for sure. Definitely. I mean, it's just like one of those things where I felt so silly all off season, be like, "Well, you don't know how this defense is going to be." I just kept saying that, and it was just like, "Well, yeah." There's a reason for that, and there's a lot of people that are saying that and still saying that, obviously. But Sasha V, Sasha V, hoping for the best. I would, I would love Sasha to be that. That sniper who can see the floor and play decent defense to keep him on the floor, but not sure if we're going to start off the season that way. Yeah, I wonder when our first Sasha sighting will be. Think it'll uh, be in game one. Think he plays in on Wednesday tomorrow. If it's not a like a late game blowout, like where there's separation and they're just taking primary players out, I don't imagine him playing. Because I mean, I know Mike Brown last season. I think he played like 10, 11 guys, if I'm not mistaken. Like he was still trying to figure out his rotations. And if it was last season, I would say, yes, we'd definitely see him. I mean, they started Casey Paul last season. <laughs> so, don't remind, don't yeah. remind me. <laughs> you know? So I wouldn't have been like surprised to see him, but it's like things this year, there's such carryover. There's such a you know stronger continuity here. That it's just, it's hard to kind of throw him in that, that core there. So I, I wouldn't be surprised if he doesn't play at all on, on Wednesday. But, you know, maybe the Kings blow out the, the Jazz. Or maybe the Jazz blow out the Kings. I don't know. Maybe he's <laughs> extended his Asha minutes. But I think any opportunity to get Vizenkov out there, even if it's not necessarily the most meaning, meaningful minutes, he'll really have a chance to, to get kind of game time improvement there. But I don't know. It's not super surprising from Vizenkov. I think... We kind of said it at the start of preseason that, you know, he may not get that rotational spot right away, but 
a few months in, he very well could. I don't know if I still agree with that. I still feel like it's gonna it's gonna take some considerable time, but I'm not like too worried because it's not that surprising. It's not like they were leaning on him to be the guy. So it'll be probably slow but steady progression from Vizenkov, I would imagine. But we'll have to see. Yes, we will. But talking about the depth of the team, we mentioned the center situation and we saw this preseason that JaVale McGee is a good pickup, you know, providing nice mobility and rim protection. And he's veteran that has played in the league for a long time. So when he has the ball in his hands, which he'll have a lot in his opportunities in this offense, he makes pretty good decision-making. Uh, and then obviously one of the big topics among people who watch the team and cover the team is the fact that he's forming a nice partnership with Malik Monk. And there's a lot of good things to say about JaVale McGee, but at the same time, it wasn't all perfect. And one of the constants for him throughout the preseason was the fact that he would always have like two to four turnovers a game. And like Mike Brown said, you can't in, you know, in 12 minutes a game, you can't be turning the ball over two, three times, three or four times, you know? So, that's a little bit of a concern and to put it into kind of these terms per 36 minutes this preseason, he averaged 6.4 turnovers. Now, obviously he's never going to play 36 minutes, but that gives an insight as to how much he's turning the ball over, you know, in his minutes. It's a little inflated there far too much than what he should be doing. And also there's just like JaVale McGee moments where I think there were at least two or three times this preseason where he fouled a three point shooter and as good of a shot blocker as he is, he doesn't always go vertical the way you'd like him to go. So sometimes he'll end up with fouls. And I think the fouls and the turnovers, you know, do kind of put him in a position where he could lose, lose his job. And I think the main reason for that is Alex Lynn is just so solid and doesn't turn the ball over, uh, has less fouls, you know, in his minutes. And, you know, he, he's obviously comfortable in the offense. He's been in this offense all last season. And, you know, Len is just just solid, like I said. And he, he, he gets just about as many block shots as McGee. I think in less minutes, he had about as many block shots as McGee did this preseason. So he's equally as good as a rim protector. We talked about it a lot last season, that his mobility and ability to move seemed a lot better. And one of the things I kept noticing in his minutes, especially in that last preseason game where he – got to be the backup center because uh, DeMontis Sabonis didn't play and McGee started, is that Len is so sharp in his movements and his half-court pace for such a big guy is good. He sets the screen. He runs hard to set the screen. He runs hard to roll to the rim. And there's just something about him that's just, he's not, I guess I would put it this way, as opposed to McGee, maybe McGee has a better chance of helping you, but Len has a better chance of not hurting you. So one of the things that I think is really interesting is the fact that as good as McGee is as a pickup and as much as Mike Brown trusts in him, you know, there's Alex Len there. And I wouldn't be surprised if Alex Len takes that job at some point. I mean, McGee did lose his rotational job last season with the Mavericks. Of course, it's a different situation, but I mean, Alex Len is solid, and Mike Brown had nothing but good things to say about him on Thursday. He, 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 did, he does the right things. He's tough. 
takes an elbow to the face and gets called for a foul, you know, like mm-hmm. <laughs> tough guy, good shot blocker again, brings the vertical. He had a whole season of preaching from Mike Brown about going vertical a little bit better. I think he's a little, little more in tune with that. I don't know. I mean, McGee's good, but are, would you be surprised if Alex Len gets a nod at the backup five at some point this season? If And, of course, that's only going to happen if McGee does not bring the turnovers down or if he continues kind of making silly fouls here and there, which is not as big of an issue as the turnovers. The turnovers is definitely the big issue because he does turn the ball over a fair amount. I mean, has Brown said that McGee's going to be the primary guy off the bench after yeah, I mean, Sabonis? He- I mean, he's so McGee's had the minutes in preseason. He's gotten tread over uh, Len in that regard. And in Thursday's after in Thursday's post game comments, he was talking about McGee getting. You know, he's gonna get twelve minutes a game. I mean, he's talking about it like he's gonna get it. And just from watching the preseason and how the rotations have worked, the indication is that McGee will get those. And if you remember correctly, too, in earlier in preseason, Deuce Mason asked about all the options at center. And whether it's going to be more matchups based or whatnot. And Mike Brown kind of alluded to the fact that it's like, no, we're going to have a guy and we're going to kind of stick with that. Like, that'll be the thing. So to me, it, it seems like McGee is going to get first go at being the backup center. And I mean, he could go the whole season as the backup center, no problem. I could see that happening. But, you know, those turnovers do become an issue. Do you see Len taking those minutes at some point? Do you agree that Len is kind of, uh, maybe better in the sense that he doesn't hurt the team as much. Yeah. I mean, I, from my point of view, uh, I'm not going to answer your question directly. Um, I mean, I can see Alex, (laughs) I can see Alex Lynn taking the job at at points in the season. Maybe not so much like last year where like Lynn would come in for a game or um, Kato would come in for Metu. Where Matthew kind of just had the the starting or the not the starting the backup center role most of the season, I think it's going to be more like scattered because I think Alex Lynn, he's a good player. He showed last year that at the end of last year that he's you know can be a productive NBA player. I mean, I I, I could see them just trading off like they go on their spurts, kind of like in longer spurts that like than Kada and Lynn were getting for Matthew last season. Because I mean, yeah. Alex Lynn, he I mean. He's, a, he's. I mean, I think he's a good player. I think he's on the level of where JaVale McGee is now in his career. I know JaVale, like he had, I guess it's the higher ceiling, right? Like JaVale at his best might be a little better than Alex Lynn at his best, but are you going to get that level from JaVale McGee night in, night out? I mean, the dude, the dude rules shacked in a fool for a reason, right? So, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I mean, Alex Lynn, don't, don't underrate Alex Lynn. I don't think anyone is really because he was. I mean, he ended the season so well last year. Even in the playoffs, I mean, I think in the first game of the the postseason, he was the uh, defensive player of the game mm-hmm. chain guy. So, I mean, he definitely Alex Lynn is he can step in and you know fill a hole, and you know you won't bat an eye. And maybe you want that to kind of happen where they're they're trading off significant segments of the season being the backup center because. As you said, McGee's, what, 36? Or he's going to be 36 or uh, in January, I think. And mm-hmm. then Len didn't play a full season last year, and we saw him play so well because he was fresh, you know. Yeah. So maybe you kind of want that. Maybe that's just a benefit, and it, it will be a little more 50-50 or 60-40. But, yeah, 
like you said, don't sleep on Len. And it's just it's such a far cry from last season where it was just constant searching for that backup five. As soon as the Holmes thing fell through, which was very quick, yeah. they had to go with Metu for a long time. And I think Mike Brown trusted Metu to maybe get better and play within himself and play the way that they want to play and utilize his strengths as a quicker five. But that just never really materialized. And it really hurt his cause, Metu's that is, that he didn't shoot threes. Maybe you don't want him shooting threes. But again, as we've said, he did close the season prior out pretty well from three. And he always kind of had that. It was never like promising, but it was a possibility that he could add some stretch element. So, you know, this season it's a lot more certain. And another thing about Len too is he, he took a couple of threes this uh, preseason. He looked a little more ready to take that shot when it was there. And I think he shot 50%. I think he probably only put up about four attempts maybe. But I mean, he hit half of them. Not, they didn't always look good. I think he maybe airballed one of them. So it's not like the best shot, but, you know, you saw McGee in the Jazz game. There were a couple times where Walker Kessler just kind of sagged off McGee and said, like, we'll take a shot. And McGee took a, two or three mid-range shots, and they just clunked off the rim. And you don't want him taking that shot. So yeah, it's kind of another element to Len that's kind of interesting. We talked about it before last season because he shot, I think, like 40% in Eurobasket. So it was like, can he bring a shooting element? And I think he must know that that can, that can be one of the, aside from not turning the ball over as much and just kind of being solid, that it can be another thing that separates him from McGee. But there's not a lot of separation between the two, I would say. And that's a good thing. But yeah, I don't know. Don't sleep on Alex Len. Don't sleep on him. He might be comfortable. He's probably, he just feels like a, like a Tempur-Pedic mattress. <laughs> no, I'm going to sleep on Alex Len, you know? Harrison Barnes is like, yeah, no, I sleep on Alex Len. That's oh, yeah, Alex. Yeah. It's a little insanity. <laughs> Lensational. Lensational. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, I guess just worthy of note, through four preseason games, Malik Monk did not look very good offensively. I think he shot some with some poor percentages and a lot of the, con, you know, uh, constructive criticism of perimeter defense and pick and roll defense. A lot of it gets thrown onto Herter, but Mike Brown has done a good job of not just pinning it all on Herter and saying that there's multiple guys that need to play better defense in, in the regard of pick and roll defense, dribble handoff defense, and just not getting blown by. And Malik Monk could have equally been in that category too. I mean, he, it seemed like every game there was a backdoor cut that he would allow. You know, I think in that second Warriors game, there was a moment where he just totally lost sight of Gary Payton II, who got an offensive rebound, or maybe he made a cut after an offensive rebound, just had an easy layup. And there were a couple other backdoor cuts throughout the preseason where it just seemed like Monk wasn't there. But in the last game, he really whipped back into form. And he, he I think he, did he lead the team in scoring? He had like 28 points. Yeah, I think this. he did. A very good game from him. I mean, I think I think he was a little absent in the second and third quarters, but I mean, that's kind of the essence of Malik Monk. And but the first and fourth quarters were just terrific. And you know, he I guess it was never a big worry that Malik Monk was going to fall off or have a drop back from last season. But those first four games were a bit of a concern, especially maybe defensively. And even defensively, he looked far more in tune with what was going on. A little tougher. 
in terms of getting around picks and and being a lot more aware of his man. And I don't think he allowed a backdoor cut in that game, which might have been the first preseason game where he didn't. So it was it's worth noting that that Malik Monk, even if people weren't super worried, and I know I wasn't super worried about what he'll be able to do, especially in a contract year, but it was really reassuring to see him play the way that he should be playing there in uh, that last game. But, you know, he did kind of build up a little bit of concern that probably got overshadowed by the Kevin Herter talk, uh, at least with this podcast. And yeah, I don't know. I mean, that's just worthy of note. I think that Malik Monk, I mean, he said it himself, he's been taking a little too easy in preseason. So, you know, maybe that's a sign too. We've talked a lot about the fact that he needs to be more consistent so maybe he's gaining a little bit better consciousness of the fact that he does need to kind of bring a better grit and edge to his game where he is more consistent and not hurting the team. So, I mean, he he seems to recognize the fact that he is one of the most important and best players on this team. And when he's playing well, the team usually plays well. And yeah, I don't know. It's just, it seems so benign and like not a big deal because it's Malik Monk and people weren't really worried about him. But I think that was a that was a big promising thing to see in that last preseason game was Malik Monk kind of get back in his lane, the lane we're used to seeing him in. So yeah, yeah, Monk's not a guy I'm ever really going to worry about, but at the same time, it's like because you think he's just a streaky guy, but I guess that's something you do have to worry about, right? It's his streakiness and. I mean, if he really wants to take that next step and be that real six-man-of-the-year guy to win it, I mean, that streakiness is going to have to just be cut out or not be so long of streaks where he's just ice cold, you know? So I'm not concerned for Monk, but I guess I am still concerned over his streakiness because, I mean, when he's bad, he is, you know, pretty bad. So something to keep an eye on. Yeah, we'll have to see. I mean, he's he's the thing that I love about Monk, and I think Mike Brown said it, is that when he gets in those pick and roll situations where he's so dangerous going downhill, the main thing he wants to do is throw the lob. The second thing he wants to do is score. And then the third thing he wants to do is kick it out or spray it for a three. And, you know, if he can just kind of find a nice balance to when he's not shooting well, to continue to just lean into that, you know, where he can help. I mean, I guess part of the consistency could just be, you know, knowing where your weaknesses are at any given point. You know, if the shot's not falling, try to find other ways to impact the game. It could be just a little bit more comfort within the offense in finding what works and what's not working and being aware of that. And also, I think one of the things I want to see from Monk this season is we. there were a couple points last year in his cold slumps where Mike Brown talked about him kind of being a little banged up. He's a small guy. Hopefully he can, you know, avoid nicks and bruises or whatever and, and 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 not let that affect his consistency because he's such a great scorer and facilitator and he's always I mean last season all of last season he was way above expectation on defense not a great defender but way above expectation I, mean, I think I think we had a hot take at this time last year right before the season started where we were like yeah everybody needs to take it easy on Monk because his defense I mean like he's got to show a lot on defense and he did he did so, mm-hmm. you know, this this season, especially with it being a contract year, I think Monk's got a real good chance to make a run at that sixth man of the year. And, yeah, maybe that was never in question, but it's good to see. It was good to see in that last game. 
Mm-hmm. But, you know, one more kind of takeaway, I guess, and it's not as lucrative of a topic because it's a guy that's arguably the 12th, 13th, or 14th guy. But Kessler Edwards led the team in rebounds on Thursday night. And one of the things that I took note of in the summer league was the fact that he was playing the four a lot more, guarding more conventional fours and being far more involved on the glass. And James Hamm asked him about the fact that he was bulked up a little bit more this this past offseason and asked if that was, you know, any reason for that was because he wanted to be more of a three, four rather than just a three and a two, basically, because he did start a few games for Kevin Herter late in the year and started at the two. And it just seems like Kessler Edwards, even if he's not really pushing the envelope on cracking the rotation or anything like that, his playtime is going to increase relative to expectations because he is far more versatile. So, I mean, not much to say off of that, I guess, but I mean, Kessler Edwards is just so solid. And it seemed like every time he was out there in the preseason and he didn't have the most voluminous opportunities this preseason, but it seemed like whenever he was out there, he was, he was pretty good. And in that last game, he went two for two from three. And I think he shot like 34 or 35% last season in his time with the Kings. And it's just like Kessler Edwards is a great reminder of just how deep this team is when that guy's waiting the wings, because he was such a big help to this team and providing defense where nobody else was really providing that level of defense outside of the typical guys like Davion Mitchell and even De'Aaron Fox. So I think it's worthy to give Kessler Edwards some love. I think, I think we were among not, I think there were other people out there that were saying that was a great trade and whatnot and that believed in Kessler Edwards, but I think we bestowed upon him the KE nickname. I don't know if that's sticking anywhere, but (laughs) <laughs> I, I still write in my notes when he does something. It's KE. It's not Kess or anything like that. It's KE. So love to Kessler Edwards, man. I mean, solid player and seems really in a good mental state of knowing his place on the team, but also knowing that he's got to stay ready at all times. And he said that he's done that his whole career and he's had to do that his whole career. And he's just going to kind of keep that mindset. And what more could you love? So Yeah. K's been great so far since coming at the deadline. Great pickup by McNair. Just one of those guys going to play spot minutes, usually in defensive situations. But, you know, a guy who's, he might, maybe not force Brown, but definitely his defense, I guess, might force Brown to put him on the floor. Yeah. And, so and, we're, talk- and we're talking mm-hmm. about Kessler, I mean, not Kessler, uh, Sasha Vizenkov, not necessarily proving that he can do stuff. And, you know, not saying, and we were saying that's not such a big deal because, you know, they have Murray, Barnes, Lyles. And you throw Kessler Edwards in there too. I mean, if he can play the four, you know, all of a sudden you kind of have two guys there in Vizinkov and Kessler Edwards that's, well, there's, you got to get an offensive guy and you got a more defensive guy. And Kessler Edwards can do himself a lot of favors if he is shooting closer to 35, maybe 36% from three. So, you know, I don't know if I expect Kessler Edwards to be like a surprise contributor this season, but like you said, spot minutes, I expect him to be solid and, and be helpful whenever he's, his number is called. So mm-hmm. just a testament to the to the makeup of the team. And again, you know, Monty McNair, I don't know if we give him enough love here, <laughs> but uh, it's another one of those things where it's just like you traded the draft rights to David Michino. Dude, I was just going to say, I mean, I, we don't know if we won the trade yet because David Michino. <laughs> At 37 years old or whatever old he is. <laughs> Wait, is he really? Yeah, he's like in his late, I think mid to late 30s. 
Oh, that's like, hilarious. He was like drafted like 10 years ago. <laughs> so interesting. But yeah, Kessler Edwards, solid, deserves a nod. I guess kind of, you know, the season starts this week. Do you have a idea of where the Kings will finish, what their win total will be? Do you have any predictions on that? Any hunches? Man, honestly, I think the Kings are going to end up about the same spot they did last year. Maybe, I don't know, 50? I would love to see them win 50. I think they have a legit shot at getting 50, considering they won 48 last year. But I don't, you know, I just don't know. It's just, I think they're going to be a better team for sure, but who knows how the injury bug is going to affect them this year. And, you know, and who knows how it's going to affect other teams this year too. Because, I mean, again, We've talked about it a lot. The, a big reason the Kings got that third seed with, you know, only 48 wins, which isn't usually the third seed in the West, um, is because a lot of teams were injured and the Kings really didn't have any major injuries last year. So I don't know. It just really depends on, like, you know, I think I think that really, like how well are these other teams going to stay healthy? Because, um, I mean, I hate to say it, but, I mean, every team in that division is – you could argue is better than the Kings, you know, mm-hmm. and you can argue the Kings are the best team in that division. Maybe, but I mean, I don't know. I, I, I think they just have a lot to prove still without, you know, without this injury excuse, you know, it's like, yeah, they were third in the seed because of the injury bug. Yeah, sure. You know, I agree with it, but you know, now they're going to really have to prove that they they're here and they're, you know, they can, they can fight with teams at full strength. Yeah, so you going you going with fifty wins, or you going a little lower than that? I'm gonna go forty nine, <laughs> right in the middle between last year and fifty. Yeah, I, I just, mm, I feel like I feel like they're gonna win forty seven and finish sixth in the conference. Not a knock on them or anything like that, and I think they should be more prepared for the playoffs. But it's just like there's no way the season's gonna be as weird as last season. And like you said, that division's tough. And I really, I have questions. I know the Suns are loaded and they got some good tools around them, not including Chimezi Metu. <laughs> and then the Clippers, you know, they have a good, strong kind of central core. But I, I feel like I could see the Kings maybe edging them out. It'd be really interesting to see what happens with the Suns. I could eat my words on that. The Suns could easily go ahead and win more than 50 games easily. But I also wouldn't be surprised if the Suns are kind of a 46-48 win team. And the Clippers, too. I am yeah, because I mean... Go ahead. I mean, just, just just hanging on the Suns and the Clippers for a minute. Even the Lakers. Um, you know, I mean, there's a lot of star players on those teams that have missed many games in the many of the last few seasons, right? Or in the last few seasons. I mean, Kevin Durant is constantly out, right? Yeah. Kawhi and Paul George, constantly out. Anthony Davis constantly out. So, I mean, they lost our players in this division, but also, I mean, they, they have that new rule where it's like, I think teams get penalized for sitting out two of their star players or something. I forget the rule off the top of my head, but I mean, I, I'm not just going to expect Kawhi Leonard to play all 82 games this year now, or Anthony Davis not to get injured or Kevin Durant. I mean, Kevin Durant's always sitting out. I feel like so. Yeah. I mean, if the injury bug is going to hit, I mean, it's probably going to be those guys, right? The Warriors, they relatively stay healthy, right? I mean, yeah. 
other than Steph and Clay, <laughs> I guess Clay kind of had a rough those two seasons, and Steph well, broke his hand in that one year. But I mean, they're usually on the floor. And same with Chris Paul. I don't think you. I don't know Chris Paul last year. I wasn't really paying attention to Chris Paul. I feel last like he year. got a lot of rest. They gave him a lot of rest. Yeah, but he's but also not like the same guy anymore. True, but in a kind of six man role and whatnot. I mean, I mean he'll still, be good. I'm not. I'm just, yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he did. He did make Kevin Herter look even slower <laughs> in that <laughs> second Warriors game. <laughs> but I, I totally agree. I mean, I think the. I feel like to me the Clippers. I mean, I think when you look at win over-unders, the Kings of the Pacific Division have the lowest at like 44 and a half. And I would say the Clippers have the most to prove. Because even when yeah. you go beyond the fact that they have Leonard and uh, George, just like there's there's other questions about their roster. I don't like their bench very much. They still have Bones Highland as basically their backup point guard, I believe. And I, I'm just not super convinced that the the, the Clippers are – not the worst the and it's by being the worst team in the Pacific Division, you're probably still a really good team. But I mean I probably put them at the bottom there. And then that's a good point about the Lakers, but I don't know. I mean the Lakers seem to have just found new life after their trade deadline last season. And even if LeBron James sits out a fair amount and even if Anthony Davis misses a little bit of time, I mean Jackson Hayes is solid. They picked up Christian Wood. Maybe he has a little bit of a resurgence. They have Gabe Vincent and um, what else do they add? Well, they have Rui Hachimura too. I mean, like they, mm-hmm. I feel like the Lakers, they're a pretty deep team too. They obviously have Austin Reeves, who is, you know, ascending among the league. Yeah, I don't know. I I, I still like the Lakers a lot. I think the Warriors are really going to be solid. They, they're they're going to be completely different than last year. And uh, far more balanced on the home between home and road. I don't know. I, I would put the Kings right in the middle. I don't know if it'll be the Suns or the Lakers right behind them, in my opinion, or what. But yeah, I don't. I don't know that that division. It's 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 so tough to kind of guess where things are going to go. But I mean, I, I could see the Kings being the best in the division. In the division, I could see them being the worst. Like I, I just, I, yeah. I think they'll make the playoffs. I don't think they're like going to be the worst team in the division i think did it every team in the division made the playoffs last year right um, um yeah i guess so the clippers did the clippers they were a playing team weren't they yeah i think yeah they did they play the suns in the first round um, I'm, I'm, i think they made it you know so i mean i think they'll make the playoffs still but yeah i mean i i just you just don't know i, I mean especially with the suns having so much to prove um, I'm still interested in seeing the Warriors, um, the Lakers, and I don't know, the Clippers too. I just always so many question marks with these teams, especially with guys that are injury prone a lot. And, you know, even aging superstars and LeBron and Steph and even Clay and Draymond aren't the youngest guys ever. And the Kings are a young team ascending and, you know, they have a lot of proof on their shoulders and guys who, you know, the Kings are probably a team that would like to win that first seed in the West, you know, a, uh, compared to maybe the Lakers, who are probably just happy with the playoff spot, get their guys some rest. Same with these other teams who have these star players, a little more focused on the uh, the the playoffs, where the Kings are, I think they're going to take the regular season more serious than probably these other four teams who have been in the playoffs, you know, the last four years in a row and have championship expectations. I mean, every team in this division has championship 
expectations, which is kind of crazy. So you can, yeah. I mean, the Clippers do with Kawhi and Paul George. Lakers, obviously, with LeBron. Suns were just in it two years ago or three years ago, and the Warriors just won it two years ago. So it's crazy. Yeah. It's a stacked I mean, division. It's I mean, really stacked. And the Lakers did make the Western Conference Finals, too, just to throw out. Yeah, I, yeah, they did. I didn't even say that. It's, it's, I don't know. I mean, if you had to just guess how that division's going to finish, just best bet off the top of your head, how do you think it'll go? Uh, okay. Uh, I'm going to say Suns, Lakers, Kings, Warriors, Clippers. I think the Kings can be better than the Warriors. Hmm. Yeah. I, 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 for some reason, I got Golden State, Phoenix, Los Angeles, Sacramento, and then Clippers. First, Los Angeles, <laughs> Lakers. I forget. The I'm surprised enough the Inglewood Clippers. Yeah, for real. Long Beach, Inglewood. <laughs> I didn't do that very well, but it's all right. I think people know what you mean. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean, and then kind of just zooming out on the conference, obviously the Nuggets are going to be really good. The Grizzlies, the, <laughs> the Grizzlies, a lot of questions there. A lot of questions. Steven Adams out for the year. John Morant's going to miss the first 25 games. I mean, they have a lot of experience playing without him, but I don't know. Yeah. I mean, with the division being tougher, I mean, that's... That's going to be – it's not going to be easy on them. I mean, Jaron Jackson Jr. is really good. His, Tyus Jones was, I think, he might have finished above Monk in six-man of the year voting. But Yeah, Tyus was good. They have Marcus Smart now. In, in, oh, yeah, they do. That's a great point. Yeah, yeah that's, that's going to be a huge help to them. Yeah. I mean, I still think the Grizzlies will probably make the playoffs. but Yeah, I do too. It's a little tougher with the tougher conference and their setbacks with Adam's mm. suspension. But, you know, I don't know. I mean, like, the Timberwolves, how's that going to go? I mean, they, they, had, they had the big falling out last season with the punch from Gobert. That's kind of bizarre. I don't know. If, I mean, Anthony, I everybody's guess. talking about Anthony. That Edwards, true. That huge jump, and maybe he's going to be, you know, great. But I don't know. I really don't know. I mean, are the Thunder going to make a jump? Are the Jazz going to do anything? I mean, I don't know about the Jazz. I don't know if the Jazz want to do anything. Yeah. But, you know, I, I don't trust the Pelicans too much. What do the Pelicans add? I mean, they... Uh, no one? I don't know. I think just, is Zion going to play all year or not? I mean, I think that's kind of <laughs> like the Pelicans dilemma, right? Yeah, and even if he does, I mean, like, is he going to be the Zion everybody expected him to be when he was drafted number one overall? I don't freaking know. I don't know either. I mean, when he plays, he's honestly really good. I, I wouldn't be surprised, but he's just never on the floor. Yeah, it's hard to see them cracking the top six and just not. I mean, I could see them being a playing team, obviously, but I don't really fear New Orleans very much. Yeah. If I was a team in the West. No. Yeah, I mean, and then outside of that, I mean, it's just. You know, you have like the the Spurs. I don't Spurs are doing anything. <laughs> Wembenyama just he just leads crazy. them to the first seed. That would be That'd crazy. Be I'd be surprised if Wembenyama plays more than fifty games. In my yeah, opinion. I mean, I, I I I'm a little like with all the hype that happens in this league about guys and teams and stuff like that. I mean, he's got a lot to prove in my mind. A ton, a yeah. ton, a ton. 
you got a ton to prove. The Mavericks, and I, I just don't trust the Mavericks either. I mean, yeah. that's, a, that's a team that could do something, but it's just like, I don't know. Yeah, I don't trust them. I mean, they got, when they, they were like the. They got Rashawn Holmes, dude. <laughs> yeah, Rashawn Holmes is going to lose out to Derek Lively, probably. <laughs> uh, and Dwight Powell. I mean, like, I just don't see it. Like, yeah, what, I don't know what they were expecting with Rashawn Holmes. Yeah. Like, yeah, we're just going to get rid of uh, JaVale McGee and uh, Rashawn Holmes. I feel like that's a downgrade. I mean, they got Grant Williams, I guess. That's uh, yeah, that's defensive you know, versatility guy. Yeah, I don't but, know. The Mavs, yeah, I don't, I don't trust them. The Mavs, I would, I would kind of put maybe a maybe one step above New Orleans, and I would say yeah. that New Orleans probably has a better tie as a group. I don't know. When, when remember got, when the Mavs were five? Remember when we played the Mavs back to back games for like that third yeah. seed? It was like right after Kyrie got traded there. Yeah, and it's like for the third seed, and then they didn't even make the play in. They just fell the frick off completely. That was weird. Those are some good games too. Yeah, they were. I'm just like, whoa. And then they just sucked. I'm just, I remember just like, I'm like, what? where is Dallas in the standings? They just not even a play-in team? Fell, keep sliding, keep sliding. It's so weird. It's JaVale yeah. McGee. It's the JaVale McGee effect. Like, <laughs> we just going to suck this year. And the Kings, they start their first year of an 18-year playoff drought. <laughs> Imagine. Yeah, the Kings go. The Kings go ahead into the All Star break as the number one seed, and they just have the worst second half and fall out of the playoffs. <laughs> the worst last twenty five games. Thanks, Javale. Thanks, Javale. <laughs> Idiot. Yeah. What about uh, Houston? You scared of Houston at all? <laughs> Houston. Fred Van yeah, Vliet. Fred Van Vliet and uh, Dylan Brooks and Reggie Bullock. <laughs> Reggie. I mean, they got Eamon Thompson. I thought that was a good draft pick, obviously. Shangun is promising. Maybe I mean, Yeah, I like Shangun. Um, and they still have Jabari yeah. Smith Jr. who could turn it around. JSJ? Anyone call him that? I don't I don't know. Maybe well, we'll start, and we're going to cover him. So every all, time the great, all the great nicknames start here at Cap City Crown. Yeah, yeah and we, they're just the initials. That's it. Houston has Victor Oladipo? Uh, yes. It's crazy. Who cares? Yeah. They also got Tari Eason, who I think was a good draft pick last season. Because yeah. he's kind of a six-man at Baylor and kind of projects to be that. Baylor. But we'll have to see. Boban Mar- <laughs> They got Boban. Boban Marjanovic? He's still, how much is he getting paid? I mean, like. Probably nothing. Not a ton, but they have Jock Landau. I didn't even that. Jock, where was he from? The Suns? Yeah. I don't know why. I just don't like that guy. It's <laughs> just something about him. This is like those players. I'm like, I just don't like you. He just, whenever I see him, he looks like Hunter Pence. <laughs> oh, yeah, he does. Former Giants right fielder. Yeah, I don't know. Houston would be interesting. Houston, but they got, we, we have, have a problem. Coach. Who knows what can happen? Maybe I make- need Doka, yeah. I forgot about that. There's my ice machine, by the way. There For it all- is, make, making its weekly appearance. I use so much ice nowadays. I love cold water. <laughs> ice cold water. Ice cold water. Not just cold, ice cold. Yeah. Well, maybe time to ice this podcast. Ice it up, baby. That's our season preview. Kings winning for- between 46 and 49 games. Finish somewhere between the <laughs> the sixth and f- fifth seed and in between it somewhere. The five and a half seed. 
fifth five and a half seed. The Kings uh, making history is the first ever five and a half seed in the NBA playoffs. And um, yeah, Kevin Herter gonna lose his starting job game six. I'm just gonna say it here, and and then it's gonna you know celebrate if it does for a reason I probably shouldn't be celebrating. Just but, for egotistical reasons of being right. Yeah, I told you. I told everyone. I'm just going to start making bold predictions after that. That's like half of sports talk, unfortunately. Yeah, it really is. Woo! Uh, suck it, baby. I was right. That guy <laughs> sucks. It's just like, man, take it easy. Uh, oh, my God. Giannis Antetokounmpo. Antetokounmpo. Uh, he just signed a three-year $186 million extension. That's insane. How much is that a year? Sixty-two million. It's crazy the NBA contracts nowadays. I'm like what? Like I sort of got ten years ago. Like Kobe was like, is like Kobe Bryant's the highest paid player. Okay, maybe not ten years. Yeah, maybe ten years ago at like nineteen mil, which was like, whoa, he's making nineteen mil. I remember like once you started getting like the twenties, like wow, that's a lot of money. Mm-hmm. I feel like it still kind of is for like baseball. Like, you're getting paid twenty, but now it's like I feel like if you're just like a like a starter in this league, you're gonna make twenty. But like sixty-two million—that's insane. It's more than a quarterback. Yeah, that's a lot. That's that's. But he, you know, if anybody deserves it, it's probably him. Yeah, that's fair. He's really good. Or Jokic, honestly. Jokic as well. But I mean, Jokic already—he's probably making sixty himself, I think. So, anyways, prediction tomorrow night's game: Kings Jazz. Who do you got? Oh, I got the Kings. Yeah, I got the Kings. Come out and win. Come out and win. I don't think it'll be like a blowout or anything. I think it'll be a close game. And I think I was listening to the jazz broadcast for that Thursday game. And they were talking about like, yeah, this team still has a lot to prove the jazz. That is uh, it, it winning games late. And I think that the Kings have an edge in that. And I think you'll see in late in the fourth quarter, the Kings kind of make some separation. It'll probably be close for most of the game, you know, first game of the season, work out some kinks, but yeah, I expect the Kings to, to, to go into Friday against golden state. 1 and 0 uh, and really looking forward to that Friday game. That's going to be a lot of fun. It's going to be great. Yeah, I got the Kings winning and yeah, really looking forward to Friday's first nationally televised game of the year against the Warriors. It's going to be really fun. Fun way to start off the uh the NBA season. So, definitely. That's all I got today. Oh, sorry. Then and they have the Lakers on Sunday before The Lurkers? The Lurkers. So, it's like, yeah, two of these three games are going to be really Really good and important, obviously. Yeah, the Talk Jazz and Lakers. Division is. <laughs> yeah, the, no, actually, the last two games against the Jazz, the last preseason game and the first game of the season, two biggest games. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it just really shows how the, you know, it's just really going to set the tone of how the Kings really are feeling that rivalry between Utah and Sacramento is really building up to be something yeah. pretty great. Salt Lake Sack. <laughs> All right. <laughs> All right, everyone. I hope you're as excited as us. And, you know, we're going to have a lot to talk about next week. But until then, have a good one.